This morning, if you have a copy of God's Word, look with us to the easiest passage in the Bible to find, the book of Genesis chapter 1. Book of Genesis chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. And while you're turning there, Kenny, that, that meant a lot to me. I'm saying roll tide. Thank you, man. Mark, that makes you unnecessary. Hey, it's been a good run. (laughs) Book of Genesis chapter 1. We're looking at the names of God. Now, again, we're not looking at all of them. There are hundreds of names in the Bible. But God gives to us different names to show us who he is, to show us how majestic, how mighty he is. And every time we see this, this name of God, these names of God, we know how to connect with him better. We know how to pray better and stronger. And so today we're looking at Genesis 1-1. Maybe I should have done this the very first sermon. I didn't for a reason because we've been referring to this throughout the series. But today I want to focus specifically on this name. So let's look at it. <clears throat> Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, one day. I look down at verse 26. And then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and every, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it should be food for you. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that all that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening And there is morning, the sixth day. Pray with me. Our Father, today as we look into your word, help us to understand who you really are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A teenager went to a candy store and bought three boxes of candy. A one-pound box, a three-pound box, and a five-pound box. The owner of the store was curious why somebody would buy three boxes of different sizes, a one box, a one pound, three pound, and five pound. And so he asked him, why are you buying these boxes? And the, and the, the boy said, well, I have this date, first time date with this girl, and what I do is if she's nice, I'll give her one, the one pound box of candy. If she lets me hold her hand during the movie, I'll give her the three, po- the three pound box of candy. But if she lets me kiss her for a while after the movie, I'll give her the five pound box of candy and that's what I've been doing every time I date a girl for the first time this is my system so that night before they went to the movie he had dinner with the family and they asked him to have the prayer and so he prayed and he prayed an incredible prayer he prayed for the food he prayed for the family he prayed for their relatives he prayed for the neighbors he prayed for missionaries he prayed incredible long prayer five minutes he prayed and when he finished 
The girl looked at him and said, I didn't know you were so religious. And he said, well, I didn't know your dad owned the candy store. Listen to the principle. You get one chance to make a good first impression. You get one chance to make a good first impression. I mean, that's what we talk about here as a church. We want to make a good first impression. If you are a guest with us this morning, we want to make a good first impression. And by the way, this is why every now and then I'll tell people, hey, don't forget to say good morning to people. Sometimes we get lazy and we don't say it. Well, we need to say it every, in fact, let's practice it right now. Say good morning. All right, so you can do it. Just say that everyone. A couple of years ago, I was at a church uh, visiting, and I had over 40 people say good morning to me. I had never been in that church in my life, but I have never felt more welcome anywhere. And so they made a good first impression. We want to make a good first impression because we know how important it is. You get one chance to make a good first impression. You know, companies will spend millions of dollars developing their brand, and they will spend millions of dollars getting ready for that first impression. Steve Jobs, before he would introduce a new product from Apple, would spend months and months working on the presentation because he knew he only had one chance to make a good first impression. First impressions are important. Well, God wanted to make a good first impression to us. In verse 1 of chapter 1 of the book of Genesis, God wants to make a good impression. And by the way, this, this verse is key. I mean, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, if you look at this one verse, it answers three of our basic questions of life, doesn't it? I mean, where did everything come from? God. God created all things. Who am I? I'm a creation of God. I mean, why am I here? Well, to serve God because he created us and we're to serve him. So God gives to us this first verse as a special introduction. Now, of all the names, over hundreds and hundreds of names, he uses a special name. But this first verse is so important because it is crucial. In the beginning, God created. Do you realize because of that, think about what that verse means? I mean, if there is no God, then everything in this world is an accident. Everything in this world is just random chance. If there is no God, there's no rhyme or reason to anything. If there is no God, if there is no designer, if there's no creator, this world, in this world, that really means life is worthless. It means our life really doesn't matter. Our life really has no significance. There's no real purpose to our lives. You say, how how can you say that? Because it means when we die, that's it. How can there be significance? How can there be purpose? I mean, if there's no God, then, then all that means is that we're just the result of random chance. It was a chance that you were born. It's a chance when and where you're going to die. If there's no God, there is no right or wrong, but just the majority of definition of right and wrong. If there's no God, there's no basis for really law because people are just making it up as they go along. It means there's no heaven or hell. There's no afterlife. There's no such thing as emotions if there's no God. Because if there's no God, then emotions are simply a chemical reaction that we put a label on. But the first verse of the Bible tells us, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And of all the names that God could have given to us in that first verse, 
hundreds and hundreds, about over 700 names in the Bible of God, he chose to use this name, Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim. This is how God wants to introduce himself to us. In the beginning, Elohim. How important is that name? Well, if you go back and read chapter 1, 32 times it's mentioned. In the Old Testament, 2,500 times Elohim is mentioned. And it's a fascinating word. It's a word that really causes us to stop for a moment to look at it. I mean, it means power, but there's something more interesting than that. Because this word Elohim in the Hebrew is plural. In the Hebrew language, if it has that I am at the very end, that makes it plural. It's kind of like adding an S in the English language to something. Like, like home, you put an S on it, homes. This is a plural word. So if you're going to translate it, it should have been translated, in the beginning, God's created the heavens and the earth. But when they read it out loud, they said, singular, God. And not only that, because it's a plural noun, they always use a singular verb when referring to Jehovah. So in Genesis chapter 3, 5, when Satan is talking, he says, For God, Elohim, knows that in the day you eat of, eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, Elohim, knowing good and evil. But when they translate that, they translate it different. You shall be as gods. Why? Because it's not referring to Jehovah. It's a very interesting word. It's a plural noun, but when it's referring to Jehovah God, they use singular verbs to it. And why? I mean, why would you do this? Already this is causing questions. I mean, today, if you talk to a rabbi and you ask that rabbi, okay, Elohim is plural. Do you serve many gods? He said, oh, no, no, no. We serve one God. He may even quote the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The word is plural, so do we serve many gods? No, absolutely not. We serve one God. So why would he do this? I mean, we believe in one God, but we understand that what we call the Trinity, the Godhead, there's one God, three persons. They're co-eternal, co-equal, and same in substance. In fact, last Sunday night, we looked at a passage in the book of John when Jesus said, I and the Father are one, and we looked at the Greek language showing that it's the one that same essence. We're the same. God uses this name, Elohim, the very beginning, Genesis 1-1, to point to the triune nature of God. He's preparing us as we read Scripture to see the Trinity. From the very beginning, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that's how Paul could write to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. He said, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And in chapter 1, verse 1 of the first book of the Bible, God lays that foundation, Elohim. By the way, later on in that same chapter, when God says, let us make man in our image, again, he's laying the foundation of the Trinity. But there's another reason God would use this word Elohim. The pagans who've never met Elohim they couldn't comprehend one God for everything. I mean, you look at all the other countries, all the, all the other civilizations out there, they had many gods because you could have one God do it all. You had the God of the sun, the God of the moon, God of the earth, God of the rain, 
God is love. And here comes God saying, no, no, no. I am Elohim. I am the one and only God of the universe. I am the only God you need. I am the only God you need to come to. I am the only God that can help you. The very first verse of the first chapter of the first book of the Bible lays this foundation that our God is Elohim. So what does that mean? Because God is Elohim, what does that mean to us? Let's look at it. First of all, because God is Elohim, that means God is powerful. God is powerful. I mean, go back and look at it. It's almost strange if you look at other writings from other civilizations because it simply says, in the beginning, God created. Just a statement that God existed. In fact, the, the subject of this chapter is not creation. The subject of this chapter is God. In the beginning, God created. God is not argued. God is not defended. God is not proved. He simply asserted and assumed in the beginning, God Those four words refute so many different philosophies out there. In the beginning, God. So it refutes atheism, who says there is no God. In the beginning, God. It refutes agnosticism, which says we don't know if there is a God. Well, in the beginning, God. It refutes polytheism, who says there are many gods out there. It refutes that because in the beginning, God, one God. It refutes humanism. Humanism says that man is the center of the universe. Well, this says In the beginning, God. God is the center. God created everything. It refutes materialism. That says that matter is eternal, that matter has always existed. Well, the Bible says in the beginning, God created. It refutes fatalism. Fatalism that that has that philosophy that says life is so random and, and you don't, without any purpose. In the beginning, God created. There is purpose in his design. In the beginning, God created. We're not an accident. In the beginning, we're God created. We're not random. It refutes racism. Those who believe that one race is better than another, this phrase, in the beginning, God created, means God created all people, therefore all people are equal. Listen, four words, simple words, refutes almost every major philosophical difference in the world. In the beginning, God Elohim. A few weeks ago, I mentioned it. it comes from the word El, which means power. Our first impression of God is his power. How much power? Well, think about it. First of all, he's the creator of all things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that word create in Genesis, in the Hebrew language, is the word bara, B-A-R-A. It's only used of God. Because what it means, out of nothing, something came forth. Okay, that's bara. Man cannot do that. Only God can create something out. We, we can't even duplicate this. Because if you try to duplicate this, you have something. You have a test tube. You have light. You have air. You have oxygen. You have something. God created out of nothing everything. He is that powerful. There is a difference between a carpenter and a creator. A carpenter can make a chair out of wood, but he cannot create wood out of nothing. Many, many years ago when they first created artificial protein at the laboratory, it shocked the world because they said, finally, we we are creating life, the beginning of life. Dr. Vincent Alfrey of the Rockefeller Institute said, this is the biggest story of the century. 
biochemist said this century will go down in history as a century when life ceased to be a mystery. Life is only chemistry. One British scientist was so confident of this discovery, he said, I now find it no longer necessary to believe in God. And so a reporter went and asked a Roman Catholic priest what he thought of all this. I love his response. George Kelly said, when biochemist is able to create matter and energy out of nothing, then I want to talk to him. God created something out of nothing. That's how powerful he is. 1996, after 276 attempts, Scotland scientists cloned the dolly of the sheep. Remember that? Out of DNA from another sheep. Had so many implications. 2001, scientists from Texas A&M created the first cloned cat. Why? They call the cat CC, meaning copycat. That is true. If it wasn't, I would have made it up anyway, but that is a true story. And they said, look, we are creating life. You're not creating life. God created life. You had something to work with. You had DNA to work with. You took something and made something. God took nothing and made something. God can do whatever God wants to do. And by the way, God is so creative. Have you realized how creative God is looking at our world? You know, they, they say right now of all the species on, of animals and plants and, and insects on the planet right now, it's between 1.5 and 1.8 million different species right now. Some scientists have estimated about 100 million species have existed, of which 95% have, are extinct. You can go to the uh, Brazil rainforest, 2.5 acres. There's 425 different species of trees. There's a, another uh, place in Peru, National Park. They have 1,300 species of butterflies. Do you realize God is so powerful and he's so creative? He creates it all. He had, God is self-existent. God, God is self-existent. He, he doesn't need anything. Everything depends on, on another person. That's why when people say, well, who, who made God? By definition, no one has to make God. That, that's who he is. God is so powerful. He is a creator that is so transcendent. He's above everything on this planet, above everything in the world, above everything in the universe. God is over. But also he's so powerful, he, he's beyond time. Okay, you're going to get a headache on this one. God created heaven and earth, which means he has to be beyond time, which means he has to create time. There was a point when God created everything. But God has always existed. You go back and read the scripture, you see many times they talk about everlasting, everlasting. That's what they mean. God never did not have a beginning point. He will not have an ending point. Getting headaches? Isaiah says, God who inhabits eternity. Abraham said, you're the everlasting, everlasting. Moses said, before the mountains were brought forth, you were from everlasting to everlasting. You're a God. God is beyond time. I mean, our finite minds can't even comprehend that. When God created everything, now the universe had a definite beginning, a beginning at a certain time, but God has always existed. You know why we can't comprehend that? We think linear. God doesn't. We look at time as linear. God doesn't. In our world, we have a past, present, and future. God doesn't. It's kind of like if you're watching a parade, and here comes the float. You see the float, but you don't see anything else. 
You're focusing on the float. But imagine a helicopter above and a reporter looking. He sees the whole parade at one time. That's what God does. God sees all of time at one time. Have you got your headache yet? We can't even comprehend this. He's beyond time. Not only that, he's beyond space. He created everything, therefore he's outside of creation. He is beyond space. The technical word is omnipresent. God is everywhere. So right now, God is here, but God is also in Cuba. But he's also in Bangkok. He's also in Zambia. Everywhere on this planet, there is God. Wherever you go in the universe, there is God. God is beyond space. This is who he is. He is Elohim, which means you cannot run from God. You can try to run from God, but wherever you run, God's going to be there. You can try to get away from God. You're never going to be able to get away from God. God is going to be there. God isn't tethered by space, time, or matter. That is how powerful God is, and we can't even comprehend it. Secondly, because God is Elohim, we know God is personal. God is personal. God is not some impersonal God that doesn't care, but God is a personal God who loves and cares. I mean, you go back and just read chapter 1. You see how many times they talk about God looked, God saw, God separated, God created. Those are personal words. These are words to know God has a feeling. God is, is doing something. You know, there are people today that they, they try to come up with God, and they think of God as some distant grandfather up, up in the sky with no power. Or, or they think of God as some like, uh, like Star Wars, the force. Or, or they think God you know, created everything, and then he just went off somewhere else. Or, or God is, is just some unloving judge that he just wants to punish people. But that's not God. God is a personal God who acts within his world. You know how personal God is? You read the Bible. Notice how many times it says, my God, my Father, my King, my Savior, my Lord. Those are personal words. God is a personal God. Our God has intellect. God has feelings. God has thoughts. And if God is a person with personal, uh, he's a person, that means we can connect with him personally. We can have a personal relationship with God. In fact, that's why he created us. He created us so that we'd have a personal relationship with him. I mean, that's why he sent his son, Jesus. And because God is personal, that means we can get to know him. We can talk with him. We can have a relationship with him. 2009, a Japanese man named Sal 9000. Uh, look, let's stop here. When your name is Sal 9000, you know the story is going to be good. Just saying. He married, and I'm going to butcher this name. I already apologize. Nanan Onaoski. Now, you say, what's, what's the big deal? Nanan is a computer image in a computer game. You heard me right. He married a computer image in a computer game from... Nintendo. Now, she has some basic AI skills. She can answer some basic questions, yes and no. She can play rock, papers, and scissors. Sal 9000 married her. It was televised. Somehow, they found a priest to do this. He married a video game character. He said his problem, and I submit there's more than one, 
is what will happen because he's promised to love her through all of her updates. He said, the problem is now the game is not only outdated, the hardware is outdated. He cannot get that Nintendo anymore and he doesn't know what he's going to do. Listen, you cannot have a personal relationship with a computer image. You cannot have a personal relationship with a computer game. You can't have a personal relationship with anything that's impersonal. I mean, it's impossible. You cannot have a personal relationship with your car. You cannot have a personal relationship with with games. You cannot have a personal relationship with your boat. You can't have a personal relationship with your cat. Let's face it, they're not personal at all, okay? You can't have a personal relationship with an idol. Why? It's impersonal. But God is personal, and he desires a relationship with us. Third, because God is Elohim, we know God has a purpose for us. We know God has a purpose for us. In Genesis, we see God speaking and things came into being. Now, now follow the logic here. If God created, if God creates, therefore, he owns everything because he created it. Therefore, he has the right to do what he wants with his creation. Therefore, we are accountable to him for his creation. Because God is the creator and created us to take care of his creation, we now find purpose in him. You go back and look at verse 26 and 27. That's what he's talking about. He's given mankind, you have purpose. I give you an assignment. God has given to all of us an assignment. So all things that come from God, we are accountable to him. And God made us in his image. Then God has given to us a purpose And therefore, it means that our only meaning of life must come from God. There was a philosopher named Blaise Pascal who said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only the God of creator may know known through Jesus Christ. Here's what he's saying. Every person has a vacuum, a hole in their heart. And the only thing that will fit is God. You can try to put other things in that hole in your heart, but you'll always miss out. What he's saying is when God is not in the right place in your life, you will feel like happiness is always around the corner. When God is not in the right place of your life, you'll feel like you're missing something in life. When God is not in the right place of your life, you're going to feel like there's an emptiness in your life. Why? Because you were created to have a personal relationship with God with meaning and purpose. And if you don't have that, you're going to be miserable. And so the first three verses of Genesis shows us what God is up to in the world. You and I were made for him. We were created for a relationship with him. And if we don't have that, something's missing. Emily Smith is a writer for The Atlantic. She wrote an article about what secular psychologists discovered about happiness and purpose. Here's what they found. The study said we need meaning, purpose, and a sense of mission more than happiness. The author went on to say, quote, happiness without meaning characterizes a relatively shallow, self-absorbed, or even selfish life in which things go well, needs and desires are easily satisfied, or in difficult or taxing entanglement are avoided. Let me sum it up. What she's saying from this study, if you seek out happiness, you'll never be happy. It's impossible. 
You seek out meaning and purpose in your life, you get happiness. Purpose and meaning of life is greater than happiness because it produces happiness. Happiness doesn't produce anything. And so we have a generation trying to be happy out there. They're trying to seek out happiness. And what is happening, they're not getting happy at all. They're missing out. Why? Because they're missing out of their mission and purpose. And the only way you can find your mission and purpose is through God. God made us in his image. And God wants to have a relationship with us. We got a problem. It's called sin. We messed up. God is a holy God. We can't come in his presence. God wants to have a relationship with us, but we can't come in his, in his presence because of our sin. So what can we do? God provided the answer. He already knew. In Genesis 1-1, he knew what he was going to do. He sent his son Jesus to die for us. 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the son of God, died on a cross for our sins so that we can come before God the Father. This morning, if you've never come before God, if you've never given your life to Christ, today's the day when you simply admit, I'm a sinner. Lord, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I want to come before you. And I believe, I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe Jesus died on that cross, was buried, and the third day arose. Lord, I believe that with all my heart. And Lord, I confess, I confess Jesus is the Lord. I give him everything. You see, God loved you so much. He provided everything for you to have a relationship with him because he is the personal Elohim, the God of all power. If you're watching online, you want to give your life to Christ this morning, if you text the word today at 270-398-5005, and a minister will give you a call today. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Christ, today's the day. Few moments we're going to be singing a song, and the minister will be at the front. Just come and talk to one of the ministers. Say, I want to give my life to Christ. Or maybe you want to join this church. Or, Or maybe you're a believer this morning and you realize you haven't been trying to live God's purpose in your life. You've been trying to do it on your own. That is why you're miserable. That is why you won't find happiness. And maybe privately or publicly, you're going to say, Lord, I want to find your purpose for my life. And He will show you. Would you stand, please, by your heads? Our Heavenly Father, what a great first impression you gave to us in the very first verse of the first chapter of the first book of the Bible. Because you are Elohim, the powerful God, our Creator. You hold all power in your hands. You hold everything together. Father, we cannot comprehend you. Father, we can't comprehend this concept of no time and you're beyond time and beyond space. Father, we can't even begin to understand. But Father, we accept it on faith. But Father, we do know Jesus died 2,000 years ago on a cross and we believe he was your son dying for our sins. And Father, if there's anyone today watching online or in person here that has never given their life to Christ, let today be the day, Father. No more hesitation, no more debate, no more procrastination. Let them answer because you are Elohim, the powerful God. In Jesus' name, amen.